Hi, welcome to the Girls Unstoppable podcast. This podcast aims to inspire girls to become unstoppable women. Each episode, you'll hear inspirational and motivational stories about women overcoming challenges and having a positive impact on their community around them. We endeavour to empower you to overcome opposition in everyday life as an unstoppable woman. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Nicola. And today we will be hearing the stories of four outstanding women, two being alumni of Strathcona, Joe Stanley, a TV and radio presenter, as well as a content creator, Helen Lee, a partner in employment and labour team at a law firm. We also hear from Maurice McConaughey, who is the principal of Strathcona Girls Grammar School, as well as Peggy O'Neill, the president of the Richmond Football Club. In year seven, I remember auditioning for a school play. It was the house drama written and directed by a year 12 student. And I remember so clearly being a timid, introverted, painfully nervous 12 year old, but looking at that year 12 student and thinking, I want to do that. I want to write plays and lead rehearsals and turn my ideas into a performance. And I never felt that feeling before until I saw that year 12 student. I didn't even know that you could do what she was doing, but it was so clear to me, if she did it, so could I. I'm Jo Stanley, TV and radio presenter and content creator, and this podcast is Girls Unstoppable. And in this episode, we embrace that magical spark of imagination. When you see someone and you think, if she did it, so can I. And we ask the question here, how did she do it? This podcast is for you if you have dreams and want to know how to follow them or have goals and want to know how to reach them or if you don't yet have dreams or goals but you want to know how to move forward with confidence anyway. I didn't get cast in that play, by the way, which is probably fair because I was so scared I could barely say my own name. But five years later, I was in year 12 and I was house drama captain and I did turn my ideas into a performance. And over the years, there have been many women who've had similar impact on me as that year 12 student. Prime Minister Julia Gillard, Lucille Ball, my mum, Oprah, my 11-year-old daughter and I'm going to suggest the three women who are joining me in this conversation today. Inspiration is everywhere. So let's meet our guests on this episode. Helen Lee is a partner in the employment and labour team at law firm Norton Rose Fulbright. Before that, she was an employment lawyer at other firms, but as a uni student, also worked at a nursing home and a chocolate factory. <laughs> What a joy. It was a great job. <laughs> Did you get free chocolate? You could eat as much as you wanted. Wow. Yep. The myth is true. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Maurice McConaughey is Principal of Strathcona Girls Grammar, President of the Alliance of Girls School Australasia and Board Member of the Centre for Strategic Education. Originally from country Queensland, Maurice has lived in London and Africa. What were you doing there? I ended up living there for nine months, actually, because my husband was working with the UN with, uh, as a prosecutor for the War Crimes Tribunal. So interesting. People have done some amazing things. 
Peggy O'Neill is president of Richmond Football Club. She's the first ever female president of an AFL club and has been awarded an Officer of the Order of Australia for her distinguished service to Australian rules football, to superannuation and finance law, and to the advancement of women in leadership roles. What an honour for you to receive that, Peggy. It was. I was very proud and and very honoured and very surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all a fairly long way away from the person that we were at high school or at least the kind of life we had at high school, let's say. We might still remember the kind of person we were. But at that age, did any of you have the ambition to be doing what you're doing now? I was inspired to do law in Year 9 at Take Reagan. Um, we had a judge, Chief Justice Nicholson of the Family Court, who came and talked to us about life as a lawyer which I'd never really even contemplated. There were no lawyers in our family at all, so it was all very new to me. And I thought, oh, that's a way of helping people and reading a lot. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) And that's what inspired me. Yeah, that day, TC. It's it's kind of similar because I didn't have any lawyers in my family and, in fact, I'm the first person in my family ever to go to university. But but I remember seeing uh, a woman lawyer on television and saying to my mother, oh, look, there's a woman who's a lawyer. And she said, well, you could do that. And so I sort of parked that in the back. And um, But I loved reading and writing, and I thought this is a way you can make a living and get paid for it <laughs> because, surprisingly, people don't think of lawyers doing that. But reading and writing is the big part of the job, and, and that's what attracted me to it. Um, and then along the way, I love sport, and I didn't, you know, I would never have thought that law and sport would have come together in the way they have <laughs> since I've lived in Australia. But, um, but I just sort of found two things even back then that struck my imagination and um, and over time it's it's come together in this way. It is interesting though that you two both can remember a person that made you think, oh, there's a thing I could do. Maurice, would you say you had those sorts of moments growing up? No, not really. It didn't happen like that for me, Jo. <laughs> I um, just found myself uh, working in different positions and being uh, really constantly encouraged to take positions that uh, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I, I'll have a go at that. But it wasn't something that was in my mind all the time. But it was really women, and of course I've worked in girls' schools for over three decades, who um, who tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, you know, have a go at that. And my husband did as well. And, and of course, that was sort of going through having three children. So I was in and out and in and out. But they were really patient with me like that, the uh, school. So I really tried to do that for my staff as well. Did you have role models though growing up that you can remember? I, I had a I had a very very strong ballet teacher. Oh, isn't that funny? I didn't know that would come out. Uh, she was um, terrifying. She looks like the queen, and um, but she kind of uh, she taught discipline and the fact that you could get on stage and do it. So that was helpful. I think that we find role models in very strange places. Would you agree? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think sometimes the people that you wouldn't expect to be a role model, surprise you in some way, or they show some attribute or quality or they've done something. Like you never really know everyone's story. Mm. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's only when you get asked questions like that you start to think about, oh, who influenced me along the way? or, or um, uh, and, and I think with hindsight, I remember I had a Girl Scout leader. I'm surprised everyone to know I was a Girl Scout for many years. <laughs> and... Um, and I remember when I was thinking about what to do in university and law had been sort of tucked away in the back of my head is um, she was, I grew up in a tiny little town and she was probably the only woman I knew had a professional degree. She was a 
pharmacist. And, um, and she said to me, um, well, think about getting a profession because you can always take care of yourself. And I thought, oh, well, and then little by little that put together with my love for reading and writing. And, and I thought, well, yeah, if you've got a, a credential somehow that seems to give you some uh, foundation for doing lots of things in life. So looking back on it, I thought, Oh, she mentioned that one line, and mm. I still remember it all these years later, and somewhere I took it to heart. It is really fascinating, the the one phrases that mm. can stick in your mind, sometimes decades later, that always are with you, um, which are sometimes really positive and sometimes not so positive. <laughs> sometimes you can learn from people what not to do as well. Mm. Um, Joe, a number of years ago I got a, a fellowship for my last school, so I had a year where I could go and interview about 50 of our alumni and, of course, we went through our alumni list and got out the kind of the firsts and the AOs and the all of those sorts of people, Olympians and whatever, and I had this amazing year of doing that and just what you said then was a, a, a theme throughout it. It was just a teacher who happened to say this or somebody who happened to do that or I saw someone do this. And if that was something that I ever wrote, if I ever wrote a PhD on it, which I, I don't intend to, uh, you could draw that out. Uh, so I think we have no idea sometimes, and, and teachers and women generally, what impact we're having when we're just going about our daily lives. You don't know the impact that you have on people and therefore our challenge is to try and make it positive <laughs> as, as much as possible. Um, but Peggy, for yourself, uh, you are probably, you're standing before lots of people and lots of women. Are you aware of how you may impact on people? Well, I'm aware that this platform of being president of an AFL club gives you uh, a certain uh, listenability that you might not otherwise mm -hmm. have. Um, but I must say that was something I sort of had to learn um, when I first took on this role. And I had been on the board at Richmond for eight years before I became president and, and the men at Richmond elected me to do this. So I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this is something special. I, I look back now and realize it was, I was probably a bit naive. Um, and I didn't downplay it. I just as being a, a woman who's a lawyer, you get used to being the only woman in the room and it's a male-dominated profession. And I always say the law sort of prepared me well for male-dominated sport. <laughs> um, and so I didn't think of it as anything very special. And, and it occurred to me because I was speaking at, at one event for um, uh, younger lawyers and a couple of young women lawyers came up to me and said, you know, it may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to us. And I thought, oh, I didn't mean to downplay it that much. It means a lot to me too, but I didn't want to sort of oversell it. I was, you know, have a job to do and I'm trying to do that job. And then I started reflecting again that I, I find inspiration in lots of places and we can't say to people, but don't find me, don't, don't look to me for inspiration because you don't know, as you said, Joe, the effect that you're having on people. And now I realize that if you have a platform, it's a platform where you can uh, put out great messages um, of encouragement and people might take that to heart in a way that uh, other people won't have that same platform to do. So I, I do take it seriously now and um, and try, as you say, to put out a positive message into the world and and think I'm very lucky to have this opportunity to, to use this mm. for that reason. Mm. And I know, Helen, I have many friends who are partners in law firms who really understand the importance of that role as a woman for 
all the juniors coming up because there is, I think, an inclination for women in the legal profession to get to middle management and then decide it's all a bit too hard. That's right. So mm. at law school it would be more female mm. law students than male. Um, when we're going through the recruitment process, there's more female applicants than men and the females are always better prepared and, mm. and interview best. Our grad mix would be a greater intake of women than, than men and then we lose them as the years progress and they um, go off and have children or they go off and just do other things. Um, some don't enjoy the challenges or you know the issues associated with being the only woman in the room. It's not always for everyone. Um, so, yeah, so it's the same thing that you were saying, Peggy, like I didn't realise, so I've been a part of it for nearly six years and I didn't get that you're always on. It took me a little while to realise that, mm. that I'm always on and they're always looking to see how I'm coping with any particular situation, whether it is just a work issue, a client issue or just the team issue or even just the home stuff. Um, they like to know that you can kind of do it all even if you're not always doing it well. Um, <laughs> and just I think being honest with them about that is important too so that they know that, um, you know, you, you might not always get it right but at least you're trying and you're coming from a place of good intentions. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and, and I didn't realise either. You're sort of soaking up everybody else's stress. You don't always realise that they're looking at you to see how they, they could do it too. Mm. So I do want to get to what it's like to be the only woman in the room. Um, what is it like, though, Peggy, to be the first to do something? There have been lots of times in my life, given my age, where I've been the first, um, the first woman to chair our young lawyer section in America before I moved here. Um, the and and after a while, you start to think you're uh, you, all sorts of characteristics are attributed to you because you happen to be the first. Where lots of times it just meant you just put your head down and just kept going. You didn't give up. Was uh, sometimes there was no uh, nothing other than just stubbornness and I want this and I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, and I do realize now that it says something about you and people will find, as I said before, meaning in what that was. I, I, I really despair that we're still having lots of firsts. Mm. I would have thought that um, uh, we had come to normalize women's participation in lots of things uh, by now, but that isn't the case. So we got to keep pushing for that. And, um, and I think the more we regard, um, you know, women's equality as a, a matter of social justice, really, it's a matter of human rights as opposed to, isn't this nice to have? And so I, um, I must say the first label I don't wear very easily, even though in chronological order, I might have been the first. But I think that anyone who's been the first always doesn't want to be the last. Mm. And that that's part of the the mission to bring people along with you. And um, uh, women on AFL boards, for example, um, I keep a list and we try to get everybody together all over the country if people want to fly in once a year. And we're still counting how many there are. And I often say, if you can still count how many, that means there's not enough because mm. we don't count the number of men on those mm. boards. Um, and by the way, there are 36 of us and, <laughs> and three on the commission. Um, so I think that that sort of is has been my mantra. You might be the first, but just make sure you're not the last. So then talking about being the only woman in the room, as which I'm sure all of us have experienced that, how do you gather the resolve to be as strong as you need to be? How do you enter that situation with 
a sense of humour or with the kinds of uh, level-headed um, pushback that you might need, knowing that there are young women listening to this who perhaps might find that situation quite frightening. I think it's really important to be yourself and not try to be anything other than that because that's a hard act to maintain and you have value and skills that are unique to you. So don't try and be somebody else or be like somebody else. You might want to pick and choose things from other people that you admire, but very much be true to yourself. And then I always just approach from the fact that if I am the only woman in the workroom, I just need to be better prepared, have worked maybe harder than the others and just know my stuff so mm. that I'm not going to be potentially criticised. And I don't want the gender to be a reason. Like I hope it's mm. the same with what you were saying. Be like, I can't believe we still have these discussions mm. about gender being an issue. Um, and some of the matters we deal with, we see the very worst of human behaviour um, in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, preparation, hard work and just if you get stopped or you feel blocked, just keep on going. Mm. And I think sometimes though, if like as you were saying, that if you find yourself having to be somebody else, to make it there, then it's not the right place for you. And you got to know that sometimes you'll, you can keep beating your head against the wall because you want things yeah. to change and they aren't going to. And, uh, and there's a difference in being persistent and, and just not being wise about what it's doing to you as a person. And yeah. I've been in some places that are like that and other places you think, well, this is hard work and I have to work, but I still feel like I'm myself. Yeah. I'm not having to change. Um, there's one thing about fitting in is they always say nothing about belonging and you know, whether you're fitting in or whether you're belonging. Mm. Yeah. Maurice, is this a conversation you have with the girls to prepare them? Do you acknowledge that there's unconscious bias out there? Yes, uh, we do. I haven't got a lot of wisdom to add to this conversation because I've been in a position where that's a rare occurrence for me to be the only woman in the room. Uh, but we certainly try to communicate to our um, students about the unconscious bias. Um, I think it's something we can talk about a lot at school uh, and I think as they leave school and go to university and into the workplace, that's when it really sinks in. Um, it doesn't really, when you're in a girls' school like this, the girls have got a lot of leadership positions, they've got the say, they've got a voice, there's just no question that they're leaders and, you know, they run things and mm. et cetera. Uh, and I do think that that sort of equips them when they go out, they sort of go, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'm just as good as you. Um, although they do kind of reel a bit when they first encounter it. Um, but uh, I think that they're just, why not? Mm. You know, why not? Why not me? Mm. And I don't know about you, but that's certainly consistent with like my memories of Strathcona. It was like, of course you can do it. Like if you want to do it, you can do it. Even back in the 80s, that was the message. Mm. <laughs> it does sort of uh, still anger me a little that uh, exactly what you're saying, Helen, around that you do need to work sometimes harder and, and ensure that you are, you know, leaps and bounds better than the person next to you because of your gender, which yeah. angers me a little because I know that there are in certain situations people that haven't worked as hard and are getting opportunities that I feel like I've earned. But perhaps the anger is what fuels you at times. Yeah, yeah, and um, a bit of anger and I think um, like all lawyers probably being too self-critical um, <laughs> and that sort of holding yourself to a higher standard kind of drives you on as well. Mm. So you can turn it around to use it for yourself in a good way. Yes. So that leads us to the how, I think. We all 
are sitting in a room with someone who a younger person might say, well, she did it, so can I. Well, let's ask how. You've ended up in positions of leadership and have really had very fulfilling careers. So the question is, Perhaps let's start with what strengths or attributes, what what values, what is inherent to you that you feel has assisted you to get to this point? You know, I ask these questions. It's so funny. I can't tell you. Women don't like talking about their strengths. They just we don't. should all talk about each other's strengths. <laughs> no, but, but that's great. And, yes, we've already acknowledged that it's really important that we're surrounded by people who encourage us and reach out and, and, and push us. But it's equally important that we're able to say, well, these are the things that I'm good at. Here's the evidence for why I'm here. I would say being curious and inquisitive in wanting to know why and understand things because that always inspires you to do more, learn more. I mean, ask the next question on a particular matter or of a person. Um, you need to act with integrity all the time and your reputation obviously is critical once that's gone. Um, it's a terrible state of affairs. Um, and then probably just sheer hard work, the ability just to work hard and give up other stuff. And I think I was like that at school actually. Hmm. And I think that it's important that we know what our strengths are right from, well, my daughter's 11 and I talk with her about it all the time so that she is able to know when I'm pushed, well, I have that resource in me. So great, curiosity, hard work, those things work with you, I'm sure, in high school. Peggy? It was sort of much the same. I was thinking about you know the influence my parents have in the way you're brought up and and hard work was one of those things they weren't educated people but they were they valued education and so naturally I came to value that too and um, you know it was a, a time and a place where girls weren't necessarily encouraged in any sort of way or educated and my cousins weren't but my parents really made me think if you want to go away to university, we'll find a way for you to go. And so I think that selflessness, that thinking of others and and parents do think that about their children. Uh, but I got a big dose of that, I think. Um, also, uh, respect for other people, uh, finding that uh, no matter what situation you're in, there's somebody that you need to help. My mother was a great volunteer for just about everything. And so the the value of that, and I value that in people as well. Um, I worked really hard. Um, I'm pretty disciplined about what to do, which is the give up the short term for the long term. Um, I've, I'm very patient. And um, back in my teenage years, and the world starts to open up, to you as you become more educated. I just couldn't get enough of learning all these fabulous things people in the world were doing. And I just wanted to be exposed to as much of that as possible, um, which led to me traveling and led to me moving to Australia and uh, that sort of thing. But when I look back at my teenage years, the things I valued then, I still value now. Mm. And I'm pretty much that person. Along the way, sometimes you get your head turned by, how am I going to make money? Or um, that doesn't sound really too interesting. Uh, but I realize now I hit on things very early when I was just pure, what are you interested in doing? And other than being a photojournalist in a war zone, which was one of the things <laughs> I thought would be quite interesting. I don't know why, but that was back in the, you know, 
you weren't uh, risk averse then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I think it, it's it's those values that were given to me by mm-hmm. my family and the encouragement that um, just go out and and find something you really like doing. Mm-hmm. And they didn't care what that was, but just pursue it. And uh, and I'm still finding all sorts of things I still need to do mm. <laughs> uh, because they're just uh, of great interest to me. So that curiosity, the intellectual curiosity um, that you've never really arrived, you're just learning more about things. Mm. And Maurice? Again, I suppose a, a little bit different, but just to pick up on the word curiosity, which I think is really important in learning. So it's something we talk about um, at school and it's in our strategic plan. But for me, my, my sense of curiosity is more about people. Uh, and so that's what intrigues me about the roles I've had, um, sort of figuring people out and why is she doing that and how can we sort of, what can we do about that to help her develop and, you know, all of those sorts of things that in a school which is such a human organisation, students, staff, parents, you know, past uh, students, past staff, uh, it, to me I still find it intriguing uh, even though you end up in a, in the sort of difficulties of it all sometimes. And uh, I think the uh, the other thing is uh, I seem to be able to keep a sense of perspective mostly, uh, and uh, I think maybe that comes and calm. And I think that sort of maybe goes back to my childhood. I was the eldest of a large family, and um, you know, sort of refereeing varying fights and things that went on. So I think maybe their qualities <laughs> are kind of useful. It does seem to set you up for principal. I'm not sorry. The three of us in the room. Went, Ah, it's all making sense. <laughs> but it's interesting when you, I mean, we have got the benefit of, of, you know, 25 years, 30 years working where we can go back, remember who we were and go, oh, I see those qualities, they, they link up and those values link up. How do we assist our young people to identify those things in them now such that it will hold them along their path? I think the various um, opportunities they have to do that, whether it be the house drama captain, the house drama captain this year is having a really hard time because there's not a lot of real life drama mm-hmm. happening. Problem solving their way through that is a good life skill about, you know, do it online, do it, what are we going to do? I think it's the opportunities they get, whether it's playing sport and they kind of have to be um, a good sportsman or a good loser or a, I wasn't so good at that on Saturday, but, you know, I'll try harder next week. Mm. So I think in schools it's a combination of the talk, but it's, a com- it's also the opportunities. Mm, so practical moments where yeah. they're actually engaging with their values and their strengths. I think too, though, um, this generation is so fortunate. I would say to any young person, ha- take the time to think about what you're good at. No one ever said that to me when I was growing up. No one ever sort of said, oh, these are your strengths or think about what you love and follow that. People have always said to me, oh, what was you, who told you to follow your dream? I'm like, no one said that in the 80s. I mean, the only people that went overseas were the Minogue sisters. (laughs) (laughs) That was it as far as our generation was concerned. So I, I like to challenge young people to really think about what they love, what they're passionate about and what they know they're good at because you sometimes have to write that stuff down. We were evidence of the fact that it's hard to actually think about your strengths straight away. So we're talking now about being parents and there are most definitely, I think, many girls and young women who worry about how can I have a family and also really follow the goals and dreams that I might have. What's your perspective on that as a partner in a law firm? 
Helen. Oh, gosh, because I look forward to the day where the male partners get that question as well as the female partners. Um, And I've had, you know, applicants for jobs ask those questions. But um, the reality is at the moment women do do the majority of caregiving at home. Um, Look, I think it's doable. It's absolutely doable and I'm proof that it's doable. But um, And I have other female partners in our office who also have children. But I think... um, the key thing that I realised pretty early on was that you have to be able to accept help and to ask for help and often we're really reluctant, I think, to ask for help so there's no shame in asking for help and that old adage of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, I mean, I think I'd be lost. Well, I know I would have been lost without various, um, you know, my aunts and my um, sister, other nannies, you know, the neighbours all helping out at various times and plugging the gap and then just being super organised and then knowing that it's all going to fall apart (laughs) and then that's okay because you'll just get through that day and you might not have had any sleep and you might not be wearing matching shoes but the next day it'll be okay. (laughs) Do you feel there's disadvantage for you because you've had a family? No, never felt disadvantaged other than I've felt like I've had longer days. Mm. Because even like during the current environment working from home, um, I expect my male partners aren't supervising grade three homework like I am. I'll have someone else assisting with that. Mm. So it just means you then sort of do more at the end of the day. Mm. But other than that, no, I I honestly have never felt discriminated against. Mm. I wonder then if it is a limitation that we place on ourselves because our expectation is so high that we need to be perfect at everything. Well, I think that's the point and mm. that's what I would say uh, is that you just can't be perfect at at, at, at it all and you mm. can't really be perfect at anything. And I think sometimes girls and women have a tendency towards perfectionism, so we talk to the girls a lot about that. Um, I also think that, you know, for me, three kids and um, a job that was pretty demanding, um, probably nothing in the no, no, your, all <laughs> partner in a law firm with a family is uh, – Well, it shouldn't be so impressive, but it should be more normal than it is, I think. Uh, But I just remember there have been crazy fun years. Mm. Uh, And, yeah, did the socks match? By the time my youngest was in year 12, I think he wore the same socks for two weeks. Mm. But I sort of got to the stage where, you know, I could compromise enough not to sort of beat myself up about that. Um, I think that the kids have to pitch in more and they have to be more self-reliant and I think that's really good for them. I think... um, that the fact that the washing hasn't been put away for X weeks or whatever it is, you just have to not yeah, start to go to sleep and sleep mm. and not kind of, you know, worry about it. I do remember hanging washing out on the line at 11 o'clock at night though. While it was raining? <laughs> <laughs> just to get it out. <laughs> so, but mostly my memories now, even though it was quite tough at, because my husband was working overseas or interstate, so I was pretty much a single mother at times, uh, is that it was kind of fun and you're alive and, mm, you know, yeah. involved in things. And um, the stories at the 21st are not always that great, though. <laughs> my son says that I um, used to make him sandwiches with chicken, but I put the bone in instead of the chicken. <laughs> now, I have no idea if that's true or whether he's just sending me up, but doesn't matter. But that's our job as the children of working <laughs> parents. It's our job to have war stories. 
I guess. But I always say, you know what, you just lower your standards. If you want to be a success, just lower your standards and no one knows. And look at what's important. So do you fold the washing or do you think, Mm. okay, we'll read another chapter of Harry Potter? Yeah. I mean, Harry Potter with kids is always going to win. Absolutely. Yes. So you mentioned there a few things around perfectionism particularly. Um, Obviously there are circumstances, external circumstances, that we are challenged by in our lives and careers. But I would suggest that the internal battles are just as challenging, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's being hyper self-critical, as you've already mentioned, Helen, whatever it may be. Um, what has been your experience with perhaps any self-doubt or a sense that, um, you know, you, you're fighting a battle within yourself to, to push yourself out there and take the risks that you need to take? Oh, um, I, I think everybody has this doubt from time to time and you know as you were saying do we take this job or just and as things have come my way I've often thought well I may be no good at this you know I may fail but all that means is I'll go back and do what I was doing before so if you put in the perspective of you're taking a chance it may not work out but what's the worst thing that can happen is you go back and do something else and I think that comes only after you've You've built up a sense of who you are and thinking that job isn't me. I'm another, I'm a person. And, and that's, I think, what, a lot, what you really need to develop to, to also withstand some of the, you know, life just throws things at you. Mm. And uh, you can't sort of uh, not do anything because you're afraid that something bad will happen because it will happen whether you're doing something or not, something bad will happen. Um, but I think if you know who you are, and what I found very valuable is, is always having supportive, positive people around you. So, you know, you can tear yourself down easily enough mm. and you don't want people just being sycophantic, but you want people who have your interest at heart. And so I always think that um, that the fear of failure is just going to come with any new thing that you're testing yourself and you're feeling a bit unsteady and uncertain and moving countries and going back to law school and starting off in a country where I knew no one um, was really um, looking back anxiety driven for a year and a half. But it's like, well, if you just get a handle on some of this, you'll feel more in control. And the worst that can happen is you don't get a job and you'll have to do something else for a little while. And then you'll come back to that or you might have to go back to another school. So um, so I think a lot of it is just building up a sense of confidence that you can manage the situation that only comes with um, knowing who you are and knowing what you're interested in and being surrounded by supportive people to, that you can fall back on and they can sort of nudge you back out into the world again. Mm. Any sense of uh, imposter syndrome for you, Helen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know what it was until I heard the name. They're like, oh, of course, yes, that's like <laughs> that's me. so many days. <laughs> so many days. That's why I got an executive coach <laughs> to help. Um, right, so if you need help, find help. That's a good thing. Yeah, if you yes. need help, find help, absolutely. Mm. Um, yes, very much so. And that whole um, oh, am I good enough to do this, can I do it, why are they trusting me to do it? Should someone else be doing it? Mm. Yeah, not every day, mm. um, but certainly at times. And then it's a matter of, okay, you know your stuff and then you fall back on the work hard, prepare, mm. and then once you get in the room, you're okay. But, mm. yeah, there are moments where it's like, uh-uh, don't want to do it, can't do it. 
So you set up strategies, things that you can go to knowing that you know yourself, you know the things that you've worked really hard at and what you're good at and that is the thing that um, levels you again. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So do the preparation. I'll talk to someone else. Mm. Um, even at work, I'll say, okay, this is what we're going to do and bounce the ideas off them. So mm. if I've missed anything, there's a chance to pick it up. Um, and then there's always chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> there is always chocolate. Yeah, a lot of chocolate. You really did in work in the chocolate factory, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and, Maurice, you've mentioned too the importance of having people around you, as Peggy has said, to encourage you and to push you that's been quite critical for you yes mm. that's been really important for me mm. I'm really lucky in the people I've had in my life um whether they directly sort of um said things to me or uh it directly encouraged me there was that feeling of you know we're in it together and have a go at that and do this and do the other um I did avoid becoming a principal probably because I did feel like I would have imposter syndrome uh and um I had to sort of move from Brisbane to Melbourne which was you know what that was a big challenge for me uh and take on a new position and be in a city where I knew really no one so that that was difficult and it's actually um we're enjoying Melbourne so it's it's great so that's turned out well I think uh you just try to turn down that voice in the head that sort of says you know you can't get do this you're going to get this wrong or you know you really shouldn't be here if you just try and dial it down when it dials up Mm. I don't know if that explains it because it doesn't ever go away. No, it hurts me to admit it. <laughs> and I have admitted it to my 11-year-old often because I think she needs to know that, yes, even in your 40s it's still there. But perhaps we get better at recognising that voice as the reason we're behaving in a certain way and we go, okay, so that's you again. Sorry, friend, you are going to sit back and I'm going to push forward anyway. Just do it anyway. Yeah, there was a, I was going to say there was a bit of um of that when I became president of the football club and, mm. and people started talking about it and I was thinking, oh, maybe I should have done this or what am I doing wrong or why are they talking about me? And I thought, you know, you really can't second guess yourself when you're trying to build up your confidence that you can do this. Mm. And so the first thing is you just turn off all of that. And um, it wasn't just in my head. It was it was out in public as well. And I remember there was a lot of stuff in newspapers. And I thought, you know, I'll read these one day. And so I just folded them all up and I have a big bin and I keep them all there. And Why? I thought one of these days. because Why I was just, keep them? Well, because I, I, I'll be able to, I think now I could take it. Oh. At the time, I didn't want to to start to think I should be something else. Right. Uh, that I thought I, I understand my job and I think that that they're trying to identify me um, in, in the terms of frame of reference they already know and I'm none of that. Um, mm. You know, I'm outside. I'm from another country. I didn't go to school here. So there was no sort of way to pigeonhole who I was and so things were sort of invented about that mm. and I thought you just can't give that any credence whatsoever you can't become that other thing because that's not you and so once anyway again, how mm -hmm. important to know who you are because it, people it, absolutely. will say things and you have been fortunate enough that that happened in an in a physical print but these days of course our our young people are bombarded with social media and some really hurtful things can come their mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. I always you know just get off social media that's all I'm gonna say yeah people do say horrible things I've had moments where I just want to oh. vomit from what I've read about myself and then or you have to exactly know who you are know who loves you mm -hmm. and just put it away 
Well, there's a there's a, a saying that I like. It was by the poet E. Cummings, and I actually have it hanging over my desk at home. And and I'll paraphrase. I can't remember the exact wording, but it goes along the lines of to be yourself when everyone else is telling you to be something else will be the battle of your life. Mm. And I sort of think that's true. Mm. And you got to just keep saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. Mm. And it takes a while to figure that out. You know, you don't just, you aren't born knowing who you are. It takes a bit of trial and error and, and um, that finding that sense of purpose. And I think that's what we're talking about when you know who you are is mm. you, you've figured out your purpose. How important is it to have something that you are doing for others? How critical is it to you in your path that you know you're making a difference for others? For me, it's really, it's the reason why I went into law in the first place. And people might think, oh, well, how can you be really helping other people in a large global law firm? But the reality is um, there's plenty of opportunities to do that. So certainly in the space I'm in, you know, we're holding, you know, our clients to account to ensure that they're treating their people properly. Um, and then we have a huge pro bono program, which means we can provide legal advice to organisations that wouldn't ever be able to afford um, any legal services. And we have the opportunities to input into you know, law reform and things like that. So we're doing a great piece at the moment around just uh, online child exploitation, just the need for law reform in that, um, which is an employment lawyer I never thought I would do, but you just need to be a lawyer to do it. Mm. Um, and certainly I think... Um, the opportunity to do that type of work really is great for our lawyers. They love it. So it's, mm. yeah, they really love it. Mm. So it drives a lot of them, I think. Well, I think schools are places where we can, um, we're invested in developing other people. And so you see it sort of weekly, monthly, yearly about young people developing and staff developing. And that's really important to me. And I think it's really important to most people who work in schools. So mm. that's just um, what this profession is about or what this organisation is about. Mm. Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm from a family of volunteers, <laughs> and um, and and a lot of the organizations I'm involved with now, including Richmond, this is a volunteer job. Um, but besides putting out a sporting team, it's the things we do in the community that really resonate uh, with me in a different kind of way, and and with our members and fans. I I said, well, we were waiting to win, which was a long wait. Um, <laughs> you got to be doing something with the platform you have. And so yeah. the work we do, you know, multicultural and, and indigenous in the Lana Madeline Foundation. And then I'm on the board of women's housing as another volunteer job about um, women who are fleeing domestic violence and, and uh, we're building apartments and houses and things like that. So that's really very important to me too. And I'm quite involved as a I've been asked to join a couple of committees on mental health for young people. And um, again, all those, there's, there's such a great need that, that everybody needs to help where they can. And so mm -hmm. that's a real driver for me too. I can't imagine not being involved with, um, uh, with some volunteer organization that needs a, a pair of hands that I might have some skills to help. I think that when we're talking about those moments where we may have the self-doubt or we might struggle to find find the strength that we hoped we would have when we were taking the risks, often it's knowing the purpose, the reason we're doing it, the why, that gives you the resolve and the resilience. And for me, I think that's one of the underlying principles of feminism because feminism is about fighting for equality for all women, especially those who are less fortunate than I am, who are actually experiencing disadvantage on a group 
far in more horrific level, obviously, in developing countries when girls aren't able to go to school or when women don't have agency over their bodies. Um, so if you could give a woman or a young, a young woman or a teenager a reason for picking up the baton of feminism and running with it into the future, what, what would you say to her? What reason would you give? Well, I think what you just said, Joe. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important um, to talk to young people about, and they're they're already fairly fired up about all of those issues. Mm. Um, and of course, our Indigenous women in Australia mm. as well. Um, I think the whole domestic violence thing is uh, a really important one for us to to consider. I also think that it's really important, and especially in the world at the moment, we just need more women's voices at the table. Um, whether it's be in government or law or wherever, uh, just that that perspective. Not that there's just one perspective of, of women, but just to balance off, and so that that our young people know that actually having women at the table means having uh, more perspectives at the table. Mm. Uh, I think that that's really important. Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I think that um, to say uh, feminism isn't just about the past, mm. it, it is the future. And if you aren't alert, it will go backwards quickly and don't take for granted anything that women have. Um, as a lawyer, it was somewhere along the way and I was studying law and I realized that the law, people making the rules, there weren't very many women in there making those rules. Mm-hmm. And that um, those are the rules that we live by. We talk about the rule of law. And over time I thought, well, this isn't really fair. And uh, we need women in there working to make it fair and uh, treating women as capable adults mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they have, um, I'd say, agency over your own body, um, but also that your voice is heard in lots of realms. And the best thing to uh, to aid with reform is to ask the people who need the reform. And so I think that we need to equip our young women to be able to take that up and, and do it even uh, better than we have done or to take it from us and push it even harder. Mm. Yeah, it's that fear of complacency that I have that everyone thinks, oh, we've made all these gains, it's all okay, and yet, you know, you don't have to try very hard to list a whole series of issues that still need to be addressed um, and where the gains haven't been as significant as they should be, just even taking equal pay before mm. you get to rights over body or, or safety from violence. Um and I think this generation of girls can use social media. I mean, we say get off it, but it's such a powerful tool and it can be used in a good way um, to campaign the changes and the reforms to the really the systems that we're all operating under um, so that all voices can be heard. Mm. So to wrap up, what this is Girls Unstoppable, this podcast. So how can we be unstoppable then? What makes a girl or a woman unstoppable? I'd say find your purpose. And once you know your purpose, uh, you'll be unstoppable. Mm. Well, I've picked up the um, school motto, bravely, faithfully, happily, and to sort of modernise it, I tend to talk about um, a sense of courage, a sense of purpose like you, Peggy, and an ethical framework and optimism uh, I think is really important. The word happily is in our school motto, but I tend to, or we tend to talk about optimism more so that you run into a few difficulties and you brush yourself off and then optimistically you move on again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mine's really similar. I think I'd say, you know, you need to be brave. Sometimes you might need to be braver than others. Um, and if it does 
not work out the way that you had hoped, don't give up. If it's something you really want to do, really believe in and it's right for you, keep on going. Well, Helen, Peggy, Maurice, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. While all of our panellists have clearly had very different lives, there are common themes there. Support and encouragement for others, curiosity, a love of learning, courage and a need to do things that make a difference, of course the importance of purpose. And so when we say if she did it, so can I, I feel like all of those things that we've said, curiosity and love of learning and and encouraging others, finding a purpose, you don't need to be our age to have those things. You can have those beautiful qualities at all ages. These are things that we don't have to wait for. We can be role models in those things at any age. And so just as we say, if she did it, so can I, then let us all say as well, I'll do it so that she can too. Hi again, it's Nicola and Emma. It was great to hear the stories of Peggy, Joe, Helen and Maurice. And we have definitely learnt from their experiences and how far they have come as individuals. I know for Emma and I, these stories have fueled us to make a difference, find our purpose and be ourselves, as well as staying true to this with confidence. I think Peggy's quote that she touched on, her favourite quote that she reads every day, which is along the lines of, to be yourself when everyone else is telling you to be someone else will be the biggest battle of your life. I think this is very hard to do in our generation with things such as social media. This resonated with me because the idea of being yourself when you have so many other influences in your life is very important and I think it's definitely something knowing your purpose and knowing who you are will make you unstoppable. And I think on that topic as well, Helen also said that being anything other than yourself is hard to maintain and your values and your skills are unique to you, which really it speaks about how in society and especially at the, in the teenage years, you're always you're a lot of the time fighting to be this this one person and if you're truly able to be yourself and find yourself, then you will truly be unstoppable. And so to reinforce what Joe said, when we say, if she did it, so can I, let us all say as well, I'll, I'll do it so, so that, that she can too. That's it for our very first episode of Girls Unstoppable. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favourite podcast app and tell a friend. If you have any suggestions on what you would like to hear next, get in touch at girlsunstoppable at strathcona.vic.edu.au.